Good morning to you. It's good to have you with us in worship this morning. As we continue, we're going to release our children who are fourth grade and younger to head upstairs with our adults, our leaders. They're going to participate in what we call Kids Crew, a time of worship where they engage the truth of the Bible, study the lesson together, but also do some fun activities and other things that just help to capture their attention and make application of these great biblical truths. And as they're heading upstairs, I want to encourage you to join with me in turning in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where we will be in the text this morning as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Last week we saw events happening that I think we would rightly characterize as a revival of sorts that was taking place in the city of Samaria, the surrounding areas of Samaria, which is northern Israel, the modern day, and even the ancient nation of Israel, the northern tribes had, uh, had broken apart from the southern tribe. We talked a little bit of the history of Israel last Sunday, and, and eventually they became their own independent nation, their own independent territory, their own independent people and culture, and even eventually an independent religion. And it was there among the Samaritans that Philip preached the gospel and many came to faith in Christ. This morning we're going to see the second half of Acts chapter 8, which continues telling the story of Philip, this character Philip. Now you'll remember from a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 6, we saw that Philip was one of the early deacons. Philip was one of these Greek-speaking Jews who was set apart by the church in Jerusalem to serve and minister as one of the the early deacons. Philip, we don't know much about him really apart from the, the stories in Acts chapter 8 and what we know of his ministry in that regard. But Philip is considered by many to be a, a great example of someone who was not a, an apostle. He wasn't one of the primary leaders of the church and yet just as a, what we'll call a, an everyman, a, a, a layman who was devoted to the scripture, devoted to the work of ministry. God used him in some incredible ways. And we'll see even from Philip's own life and his example in Acts 8 today, how just how it is that God used Philip in such an incredible way. So the, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian that we'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of background work on who this man is and some of that. But you, you noticed in the notes for today that I've entitled today's message, A Divine Appointment, because really what we have in Acts 8 with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian is the story of a, of a divine encounter, a divine appointment. Have you ever had a circumstance or a situation that you would describe as a divine appointment? Maybe it was something that happened to you and you look back on that later and you say, well, that was God. God was working in that. Maybe it was a series of events that led to a, a conversation or led to just the right thing. And you were able to sort of connect the dots and put the pieces together. And you, and you saw God's hand at work in your life through those circumstances. This past week was my, my 13th anniversary as the pastor of First Baptist Church, the 7th, which was this past Wednesday was 13 years to the day from my first day in the office. Well, thank you. I, that wasn't meant to, I mean, thank you. I do appreciate that. But that, the, the point is that uh, as I was, I was, that was on my mind this week, just thinking about 13 years and, and how great it's been and how fast it goes. 
And it, 13 years ago, the story came to my mind, 13 years ago, I was 32 years old and had been serving in student ministry and knew that God was directing, directing my family and I to come to Chickasha and, and to lead in this church. And there was an interesting connection, an interesting conversation that happened that I knew the moment that it happened that this was a God thing. This was a divine appointment that the Lord used to confirm what he was doing in my life. And so in, uh, in those days, there were two sisters that uh, had grown up here in Chickasha, were a part of this church, were raised uh, in, in the area, and their names were Nan and Ann. And uh, Ann was in this church, was in First Baptist Church of Chickasha, and Nan, her sister, went to the church where I was, where I was youth pastor, Council Road Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. And one Saturday, in those days, I was coaching, I was coaching Pike in upward basketball. If you know what upward basketball, upward is like a Christian-based sports league, youth leagues for kids. And so I was coaching upward basketball at our church. Uh, Pike was in the first grade. So if you've watched my son grow up, he's 20 years old now. So it kind of helped connect some of those dots as well. So Pike's in the first grade. I'm coaching him in upward basketball. And one Saturday in, in our gym at the church, Nan stops me and she says to me, hey, I feel like God has just put something on my heart and I'm, I'm burdened to share this with you. She said, my sister, Ann, goes to... First Baptist Church in Chickasha, and they're looking for a pastor. And you preached here at our church a few weeks ago. Little did she know that my pastor at Chickasha had given me the pulpit to preach on that day because there was going to be a search committee from First Chickasha there watching me preach. She didn't know that, but that's literally the way that it happened, right? And so she said, you preached a few weeks ago, and I thought, you know, he would make a good pastor. And I've been, I've been talking to God about this, and I've been praying for you, and I just really feel like God has told me that I should say something to you about how you, you might put your name in at First Baptist Church of Chickasha. Now, what, what Nan didn't know is that literally that week before this, I had just said yes to the pulpit committee here. I had not come in view of call yet. We had not announced it publicly. We had not told really much of anyone yet, but we had already said, yes, we will come. We will, I will preach in view of a call. It let's, you know, let's, we feel like God is moving us in that direction. And I just said a, a smile on my face. Uh, it kind of gives me chills now even just saying, I said, well, you know, man, the funny thing is just this past week, I told First Baptist Chickasha I would come in view of a call to be their next pastor. And the rest is history, right? God did that. He brought all of those pieces together and aligned all those things and made it happen. I knew in that moment God was using that as a, a way to confirm his calling, his, his direction in my heart, that this was, and that was a big thing. I mean, I, I had never been, I was 32 years old. I was going to be following a man who was 72 when he retired, had been a pastor for more than 50 years. I'd been a youth pastor for about 10 years, so I was wet behind the ears in a lot of ways, but I knew that God was moving in my heart in a certain direction, and he used that moment, that conversation, what I thought of at the moment as a chance encounter. Of course, I knew it wasn't. I look back now, I know for certain it wasn't a chance encounter, but God used that as sort of a, a divine appointment in my life to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm in this. Trust me, follow me, you know, that sort of thing. Well, what we have in Acts 
chapter 8 is the story of another type of divine appointment. But I want to say this before we really dig in and, and deal with the story. A lot of times when we think about divine appointments, we're looking for the burning bush type of moment, right? We're looking for the the knock you over, like give you chills, make your make the hair stand up on the back of your neck type of moments, like oh, you know, we're looking for that kind of a an, an, an expression or an affirmation. And in reality, oftentimes the divine appointments that God gives us are just little things, simple moments, simple acts of obedience that we may not know at the time are divine, or we may not realize until sometime later are those, those moments where God is just at work and he's aligning things. But the point that I want you to understand when we consider the story of Philip, and even further as we think about how this applies to us, is that in order for us to, in order for us to experience these moments, in order for us to step into these divine appointments, it really is predicated, it's built upon lots of little simple acts of obedience. God brought me to be the pastor at First Baptist Chickasha, not because that was something that I had my sights set on and had spent a lifetime pursuing, but it was really just a series of simple yeses. It was a series of yes to this and yes to that and yes, Lord, I'll go here and yes, Lord, I'll... And, it, and, and through a series of simple yeses, God worked out the details, and then he gave me one of those burning bush moments when, when he brought uh, Nan across my path on that day, and, and she shared. But it's the little things. It's the simple acts, the simple obediences that God will use to direct us. If we will just focus our hearts on obedience, then God will take care of the big picture. And I want you to see that in the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8. Okay, so let's dive in. Let's start in verse 26, which we're just picking up where we left off, and we're going to finish Acts chapter 8. And then I want to draw three important uh, lessons from Philip's example here that I think will help direct our obedience and, and help us to experience God work in our lives, similarly to how we see God working in Philip's life and, and really through Philip. So in Acts 8, 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Now, pause there for just a moment. Because one of the most profound parts of this story are in the little details that if you don't understand or don't, don't reflect on, you, you kind of miss. So what we just read is actually a pretty incredible thing. So let's connect the dots. Last week we saw Philip was preaching in Samaria and the surrounding territories. Samaria, the capital of Samaria, is in the north, about 65 miles north of Jerusalem. And then, if you were to take the road to the south and to the west toward Gaza, we hear the word Gaza a lot today. You're probably familiar with the phrase, the Gaza Strip, because that's in the news a lot. Well, there's a strip of land, a, a territory along the west bank, the, the western edge of the nation of Israel, both in those days and even today, along the Mediterranean coast that was a part of this major trade route. And there was the city of Gaza. Gaza in the Old Testament, you'll often see Gaza referred to by its name in the Old Testament of Ashdod. It was the capital of the Philistine Empire. But by the time of of Jesus, and then later the, the events in, in, the, in the days, the weeks, shortly after Jesus. So in the time that this is happening, 
with Philip, the city of Gaza had actually been abandoned and there was new Gaza, but then the old city of Gaza has been abandoned. So it's, it's a deserted area, but the stretch of land between Jerusalem and Gaza is also fairly uh, desert, fa- fairly uh, hot, arid type of uh, region, okay? So we think, okay, well, Philip, just listen. Well, in, in listening and obeying God, Philip left a, a region, a city where God was stirring in an incredible way. I mean, white hot revival is taking place in in Samaria and, and those areas. And now God is sending Philip to an abandoned area, a deserted region, a deserted city of Gaza, some 100 miles away. That may not seem like a lot, but that's a lot, right? I mean, the, the, the travel, all the things that were involved here. Okay, so let's keep reading. Verse 27, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. You may recognize this from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth, and the, eth- and the eunuch rather said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so this is an incredible story of uh, Philip's obedience and God's movement that we see. And, and I want us to, to learn from the example, just as we did last week, looking at the, the example of, of Philip and his, his obedience, his willingness to go. I want us to see uh, an, a lesson here, and, and I hope that God will use this to stir our hearts. Because the whole point is not just about what a great guy Philip was and how, wow, how powerful, what a cool story. And even more than that, the point isn't just about you, but rather that. God is using all of this to draw us closer to Jesus so that through the example of Philip and his obedience, we might be encouraged and challenged to obey and that through our obedience, we might draw nearer to Christ and even through us, we would see God working through us to minister to, to reach others, much like we see here 
in the example with Philip. And so the first thing that, uh, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down, right? We see that obedience produces opportunity. Obedience produces opportunity. Philip's obedience produced an opportunity for this Ethiopian to come to salvation. So I've shared already that Philip left Samaria where God was moving in an incredible and a powerful way. And he traveled by foot some 100 miles roughly, or at least the, the final destination, Gaza, would have been 100 miles away. Somewhere along the road between Jerusalem and Gaza, he encounters this Ethiopian who is studying the scripture, riding along in this chariot, studying the scripture. Now, the detail of what we know about this Ethiopian is significant as well. We read that this Ethiopian was a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and that he was in charge of all her treasure. Ethiopia, now if, you, if you're familiar with, with your uh, geography today, you know that Ethiopia is a country that is located on the eastern part of the African continent, and it is south of Egypt. In the day in, 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 of this time in antiquity, in the day of Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, Ethiopia would have, the, the kingdom itself, would have extended broadly across much of central Africa, south and central Africa. And so at this point in time, Candace ruled over a, a, a significant, if not even a, fair to say, a, a majority of the African continent, a vast territory, a vast kingdom. This is a queen of, of enormous influence and enormous power. And so the fact that this eunuch is in charge of all her treasure means that this is a guy of great importance of great significance and he's come to the city of Jerusalem as a seeker as as, as a person who is drawn by what he has read in the scripture who is drawn to worship and yet he doesn't understand he he truly today we would use in fact the term like a seeker this is someone who is seeking truth seeking faith who, whose heart is open but that doesn't understand all the things that, that he's reading and, and all the, the things that, that uh, he hasn't put all the pieces together. And yet he's come to Jerusalem to worship. And as he's making his way home, it just so happens that he encounters this guy, Philip. Now I say it just so happens because we know it doesn't just so happen. This is a divine encounter. This is, this is a, a God-ordained moment. And think about, think about the fact that if, if Philip had not been obedient, who knows if this Ethiopian would have come to faith in, in Jesus on this day. What we know about this Ethiopian is really contained in, in this story. We don't, know, we don't know beyond this really who this character, who this man is, what kind of influence he has. What we do know, however, from history is that the gospel begins to flourish in Ethiopia in the early centuries. And by about the fourth century, so by about the early to mid 300s, roughly the same time that the Roman Empire became quote unquote Christian, which certainly doesn't mean that all the Romans became Christians, but it does mean that we know that uh, the Emperor Constantine in 333 made the public declaration that he was a Christian and that it was no longer illegal to be Christian. And so by about the same time in history as the Christianization of Rome, 
we, we read in history that Ethiopia, that the territory, the kingdom of Ethiopia had a similar type of uh, growth of the, the, the early church. In fact, there was, there was such an, an enormous influence that we have to this day, remnants of, uh, of, of scholarship and early writings and things from early Ethiopian Christianity. And so was it that this was the man that God used to build the church in Ethiopia? Well, we don't know. That We're left to, to wonder about those things. What we do know is that in this moment, God has brought Philip to this specific place in this specific time for this encounter. And what I want you to understand is that if it, if it never reached anyone else beyond this man, it was enough. That if it was just for this man and just in this situation, that that was enough. We read in the Gospels about the shepherd who loves his sheep, but he leaves the 99 to go after the one. We, we read about a God who so loves us that he's willing to pursue us, that he, that he comes after us. And even here we see God's love for and his pursuit of this Ethiopian by bringing Philip. He brought Philip a hundred miles. How far would you go to share Jesus with someone? I've been on several mission trips, short-term mission trips over the years and traveled um, to some pretty distant places. Probably the most distant place that I've been, at least in terms of the most difficult to get to, was a, a remote village kind of in the, in the foothills of uh, uh, the far northeastern portion of India near Nepal. And uh, in, in there in this jungle area in, uh, in, in the village of Modapur, which was in the region of uh, Baharaish, uh, if I'm saying that right. It's been some years since I've been there. I mean, God, we saw God do some incredible things and, and do some significant. And it took us all in all, it was over over 30 hours of direct travel and transit to get to that place. Pretty, I mean, it wasn't the kind of place that you just got to. And to think, though, that Philip went beyond that, that he traveled a, a hundred miles. There are these ultra marathons today. I don't know if you ever pay attention to that, but there are, there are people who, for sport, run these ultra marathons, and they vary in ranges, some of them between you know, 50 and, and 100 miles. So a marathon typically is 26.2 miles. And I know that because I ran every one of them last April and, uh, and, and it took it all out of me. But an ultra marathon is a greater distance than that. And, and what you need to know about the people who run ultra marathons is they're out of their mind. They're crazy. <laughs> and here Philip is traveling along the road, not knowing ultimately where he's going, he doesn't know that who he's going to encounter, but he knows that, that the Holy Spirit has said go. And what I want you to see in all of this is that Philip was willing to obey and that because of his obedience, there was an, there was an opportunity. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you could finish this statement, right? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Philip demonstrates his love for the Lord by obeying by doing what the Holy Spirit has told him to do. And I don't want you to miss the significance of Philip's obedience. That Philip was willing to obey. He doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't have everything figured out. So much of the time, that's the, right? Our, our 
our obedience often is conditioned upon our understanding. Well, I would obey, but I don't understand how God's going to... Yeah, I would obey, but I, I just don't see how or I can't make sense. Of. Philip obeyed not knowing where it was going to lead him, where he was going to go, what God was doing, who we, he would encounter along the way. He, he obeyed because the Spirit said go. And what I hope you see is that it's enough that if God says go, it's enough to go. I have used this illustration countless times. I'm going to use it now, and, and so if you're tired of it, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't know a better way to illustrate this, that, that I will often say that obeying the Lord is like driving at night. When you drive at night, you see what the headlights show you, and it's enough to go that far. And when you travel that far, then it's enough to see a little further and go a little bit more. And you may not see everything that's happening around you. You can't see everything like you do in the daylight and all the different things that are happening, but you see what the light shows you, and it's enough to travel that far. And that's what Philip is doing here. It's like Philip's driving at night. He doesn't understand everything that's happening, but he knows the Lord has said go, and so he went. And that was enough for him. And through Philip's obedience, we see that God presents him with the opportunity. And what I want you to understand is this just as true for us, that our obedience presents opportunities. It produces opportunities for us. If you will obey, opportunity will come your way. Now, Opportunity is just one part of the equation because what we do with the opportunity is important as well. And that really leads us to the next part, and that is that preparation enables proclamation. Preparation enables proclamation. Philip has an encounter with an Ethiopian who's reading from the Scripture in Isaiah 53. There could not have been a more perfect Scripture for the Ethiopian to have been reading than from the scroll of Isaiah in the 53rd chapter, right? I mean, if you know Isaiah 53, even just what we see here, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken, from, is taken away from the earth. We read in that same scripture that he was, he was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. What an, what an incredible passage that this, this Ethiopian is reading from. And Philip did not pull out his iPhone in this moment and say, oh, I know I've seen this before. Let me look it up real fast. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Isaiah, right? And he doesn't, he doesn't go to his Bible and say, oh, ooh, ooh, I have my Bible here because you're, you know, this predates a printing press, right? This is, there's, no, there's, no, there's no technology like we have. I mean, they had their own forms of technology, but the scroll was their modern advancement of technology. And so the fact that this Ethiopian is reading from a handwritten, uh, a handwritten uh, portion of the text, whether it's all of Isaiah or a portion of Isaiah, that was its own form of technology in, in their day. And, and yet Philip knew the scriptures, because he, not only does he explain to the Ethiopian the meaning of this particular passage of Scripture, but then notice that it said that in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. That's, by the way, that's the obedience at work there, right? He's obeying, he's doing. And beginning with this Scripture, he told him 
the good news about Jesus. So Philip was able to connect the pieces. He was able to connect the dots, to explain how the scriptures point to Jesus, how the Old Testament scripture, and in that day, that's what they would have had, what we now call the Old Testament, right? That was just the scripture to them. They didn't have the New Testament. It's literally unfolding as Philip is doing these things, right? And so using the scripture, Philip points to Jesus, and he tells this Ethiopian. Philip was, was ready. How was it that Philip was ready? Well, he was ready because of, again, a lifetime of simple acts of obedience, devotion, study, uh, no doubt his, his participation in the, in, in the, the life of, of, of worship and whether he was involved with a local synagogue or worshiped at the temple. We don't, we don't know all of Philip's backstory, but nonetheless, we, what we see in Philip's life that we get a glimpse of in Acts 8 is that here's a man who knew the scriptures, was devoted to the scriptures, and was on fire for Jesus. He was prepared in this moment, probably not because he set out at a young age to prepare himself to be a missionary, probably not because he had this profound awareness that, you know, I go to, I go to Gaza to reach uh, an Ethiopian. All he knows is that the Spirit says go, and so he's going. And yet when the moment comes, the opportunity presents itself, he steps into that moment in obedience. And now because he's prepared his heart, because he's walked with the Lord, because he's done those simple acts of obedience, the daily disciplines, the disciplined pursuit of the Lord, now he's ready in this moment. And what I want you to see is how important it is, how significant it is that we spend those moments in daily devotion. How important it is that we spend those moments in a disciplined pursuit of the Lord over a period of time. On Wednesday nights right now, I'm teaching through the Psalms of Ascent. And it was inspired by, though by no means am I teaching from this book, but it was inspired by my reading of a book by Eugene Peterson. And I love the title of this book. The book is entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a reflection through the Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalm, starting in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, the, what we refer to as the Psalms of Ascent. It's a reflection on that that Peterson writes about. And a long obedience in the same direction, I think, is the most accurate description of what we see in Philip's life, that he's just been obedient to the Lord over an extended period of time. And so when the moment presents itself, he's ready to proclaim Christ. When I was a boy, we had Bible drill. And so I grew up in church. I grew up very active in church, as a matter of fact, uh, very, very involved, very connected in, in all the, the things. And, and so we would have Bible drill, which was like literally a uh, an event, uh, sort of like a, a club, I guess, of sorts. And you would, uh, we called it, in those days, we called it sword drill, is what we called it, because the Bible is a sword, according to Hebrews, right? And you would start with your Bible like this, and you, you would place one hand on the Bible, and they would give you a scripture, and it was a race to see who could get there the first. And I want you to know, I crushed it. I was so good. <laughs> at sword drill. I was so good. I could get there in a heartbeat. I mean, these fingers would work so fast. Uh, but in, in so many ways, uh, it, it, little things like that, learning the Word, spending time in the Word. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe 
Uh, maybe I say the book of Habakkuk and you say, I don't even know if that's a, like a real Bible book or not. You could be making that up for all I know, right? Like the first book of hesitations, I, you know, uh, got me. Uh, where is that in the Bible? I don't know. It's maybe in uh, the second part of wisdom. I don't know. You don't know, right? And that, what I want you to know is that's okay. Wherever you are, whether you're the nerdy kid who grew up doing sword drill in church, right? And you had all the books, the books of the Bible memorized by the first grade, which I did, by the way, I'm proud to say. First grade, I had all the books of the Bible memorized, right? We'd learned a little song and that made it kind of easy. But whether you're that nerdy kid like me or, or, or whether you're newer to faith and, and you still have to turn to the table of contents, what I want you to hear is that regardless of where you are, the point is to keep going. The point is to keep studying. Praise the Lord for sword drill and all those things that, that, that God used in my life in a formative way to, to get me to where I am today. But it doesn't take all of that to be obedient to the Lord, right? Praise the Lord for, praise the Lord for a mom or dad who is still trying to figure it out, but God is using the fact that their kids are asking a bunch of questions to kind of stir them like, well, maybe it's time I figure, maybe I got to get my act together and figure something, right? Praise the Lord for that. Because the whole point of it all is to keep going. It's a disciplined pursuit of the Lord, a long obedience in the same direction. And what I want to encourage you with today is no matter where you are, keep going. Keep taking steps of faith. Keep taking steps of obedience. It may seem like you're the newcomer and the new kid and everybody else has got it figured out. Can I tell you, they don't. I mean, if anybody could say, hey, I've got it figured out, I'm probably one of the elites in that regard. I have a doctoral degree in expository preaching, right? I mean, I've done, I've done uh, terminal uh, academic studies, and that's really what it is, terminal, right? It'll kill you. I, but I've, I've, I've gone all the way in things. But can I tell you what, as somebody who's got the education and the degrees to hang on the wall and all of that, heart of, the heart of it really is what I learned when I was in the first, second, third grade. I mean, yes, it gets a lot deeper and a lot more advanced, and you can, you can, you can become a lot more snooty and uppity about what you think you know, but really the heart of it is the same basic truth of taking God's word and saying, Lord, speak to me from this book. Speak to me from these pages. Speak to me. Show me what you would. Spirit, would you speak to me the same way you spoke to Philip? Would you move my heart? Would you stir in me? And what I want to encourage you is, whatever you don't know, then discipline yourself to figure it out. But wherever you are, keep going. Keep going. There are a lot of things in life that I'm terrible at, and I don't like to do things that I'm not good at. That's why I don't play golf, is because I'm not any good at it. I don't like to do things that I'm not good at. But, you know, at some point in our lives, we kind of have to get over that when it comes to the Bible and just pursue it because it's worth it. And wherever you are and whatever you know and whatever deficit you may feel like you, you know, how, can I just tell you it's worth it? It's worth it. So pursue the Lord. Pursue obedience. Keep going because preparation enables proclamation. Philip was ready when he encountered the Ethiopian, not because he had gone to seminary, but because there were just a lot of little yeses along the way. And, and so when the moment came, he was ready to step into it. That's the heart of obedience producing opportunity, preparation enabling proclamation. We, we prepare ourselves for what God does, wants to do in the future by what we do for him today. So spend time with him. Study his word. Spend time in prayer. Dig in. Keep going.
finally, we see that faith leads to action. All of this is for naught if Philip doesn't do something, right? I mean, all of this is for naught if Philip encounters the Ethiopian along the way and the Ethiopian tells him what he's reading and, and Philip says, hmm, well, that's interesting. Okay, safe travels, you know. <laughs> the reason we're still talking about this story today is because Philip said, hey, I, I can tell you about, I can tell you, I can explain. The Ethiopian says, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? And, and Philip's like, brother, I'm your guy, you know, I, I, I'm the one. And he, and he steps into the chariot with him. By the way, the chariot, it, don't think so much of like uh, Charlton Heston in the, the book of, you know, or the Moses, the, the movie, right? The, the one person, uh, that, was, that was more of a military vehicle. This would have been something more, probably more like what we would think of an ornate carriage. Uh, now, the interesting thing is, was it pulled by horse or was it carried by men? And knowing the Ethiopians, could have been either. Uh, it could have been, could have been either one. But either way, this was more like a, an ornate carriage of sorts. And so the Ethiopian invites Philip up to sit with him and to explain the scripture. And then even we see beyond this, his baptism. They travel a little further, and he says, well, here's some water. What would prevent me from being, why can't I believe? Why can't I, I believe in this Jesus? I believe, I want to repent, I want to confess him. And he acts in that moment. Faith produces action. It leads to action. The, the Ethiopian acts because of his faith, because he's come to understand the scripture. He's come to believe, and now he wants to do something about what he believes. And so he's ready to put it into action. Philip believes. And so he travels. The Holy Spirit says go, and Philip goes, and he encounters this man. And, and, and the opportunity presents itself, and he shares the gospel with him. He explains the scriptures to him. And then even from there, we see that the Spirit, that he's carried off in the Spirit to another town, and he continues proclaiming the gospel there, and even further on up to Caesarea. And that's where we lose sight of Philip in the New Testament. It's the last we hear of him in this instance. But what we see is that because of his faith in Jesus, Philip was led to act. Because of this Ethiopian's faith, he was stirred to act. And in the same way, when we have genuine faith, real faith, it ought to move us to act as well. The point of all of this, you see, isn't just more knowledge and more understanding, but it's action. It's obedience. So it's like we've come full circle. And do you see that? I hope you do. That was because obedience leads to opportunity. Opportunity leads us to the moment of proclamation, we declare the gospel, we take action, and in taking action, what we're doing is we're obeying. And it's like this, it's like this, this circle of sorts, that if we obey, or I'll use my own illustration here, right, because I, I like this one. It's like driving a car at night. We go a little bit, and then we see enough to go a little bit further, and we go a little further, and a little further still. And God is the one who's navigating. He's the He's the one who's setting the course, leading us along the way, laying out the road before us. Our job is to take that path of long obedience in the same direction, to cons consistently pursue the Lord. It's a disciplined pursuit of the Lord. But what, what I hope you understand, what I hope you understand in all of this, is that this is possible because of genuine faith in Jesus. See, apart from faith in Jesus, we know that on this day, the Ethiopian just got wet. 
No, he just got in the water and got dipped. Apart from faith in Jesus, all, all Philip is doing is taking, a, he's running or walking, whatever it may have been, an ultra marathon, right? He's taking a long trip out of the way. All of this becomes significant, becomes weighty, becomes meaningful because of their faith in Jesus. And in the same way, faith in Jesus is really what gives our lives meaning and purpose. It's what, it's what takes all the little things that we do, the little obedience, the little moments, the little bits of preparation, and gives all of that meaning and significance and worth. It's our faith in Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. This same Jesus that Isaiah 53 points to. By the way, if you come this Wednesday night, we will have our annual Good, uh, I almost said Good Friday. It's, that's the wrong day. It's not Good Friday, it's Ash Wednesday. This Wednesday night will be our annual Ash Wednesday worship. And, and we will actually consider Isaiah 53 as a portion of text in our Ash Wednesday worship this coming um, Wednesday. A little plug for that. But if you study the scripture, you see that all this points to Jesus. Jesus is what gives all of this meaning because he is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. He's the word of God made flesh. He's the one who gives power to our bodies. He's the same, the same Lord who gave himself for us, who offered his life that we could be forgiven and set free. It's all pointing us to faith in Jesus. He's at the center of the story of Philip. He's at the center of the story of Acts. He's at the center of our lives when we trust him and live in obedience and faith to him. And faith leads to action. Have you acted on your faith? Do you have faith? Have you trusted Jesus? Not only have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, but are you trusting him every day with the little things in your life? Are you trusting him enough to obey him? to take those simple steps of obedience, to walk by faith with him? Are you following his leadership? Faith leads to action, which ought to encourage us to consider, how am I acting on my faith? How am I obeying because of my belief, because of my faith in the Lord? My prayer is that today you would be encouraged, even challenged, to act in obedience to God's direction. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation. And in our time of invitation today, I want to encourage you to respond in obedience as the Lord prompts your heart. Maybe for you, that's trusting Jesus, trusting Him in faith, trusting Him for the forgiveness of your sin, and, and, and stepping out in faith, believing in Him, that he, that he gave His life for you, and that you would accept by faith His death as payment for your sin and believing in the power of his resurrection, you would trust him for the forgiveness of your sin and new life and hope eternal. If that's so, then even while we sing today, I would encourage you to make your way forward. Our staff will be here at the front. We would love to pray with you and counsel you through that moment of surrender that you would trust Jesus. Maybe for some, uh, obedience and, and action today looks more like just a commitment, a renewal of your commitment. To, to dig in, to go further, to keep going, to spend time in the Word, to spend time in prayer, to keep pursuing the Lord, to take those little steps. For some, maybe it's, maybe it's acting in obedience by proclaiming the gospel. Maybe there's someone that the Lord has put on your heart, someone that God has brought in your path, and you need to follow the example of Philip and share Christ with them. Point them to the Scripture. Point them to Jesus. Whatever it is that God is moving you, however he's stirring you today, I would encourage you that you would, you would act, that you would obey, and that through your obedience, through your action, that you would honor the Lord and you would point other people to Jesus.
So would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And as we prepare for this moment of response, our musicians are going to come and prepare to sing a song for us. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And after I pray, as we sing, if God is moving, if he's stirring, then we would encourage you to act, to step out in it and, and respond in obedience today. Lord, I thank you that you lead us, that you guide us, much like you guide, like you guided Philip, much like we've seen in the lives, the, the, the witness, the testimony of many others, Lord, you still lead us today. We're grateful, Spirit, that you speak to us, that you prompt our hearts, that you move us. Our desire is to act in obedience today, to respond so that we might point people to Jesus, just as Philip did, and that through our obedience, others may come to faith and that the cycle would begin again, faith leading to action. Lord, move in our hearts Stir us to act as we obey. All this we pray in your name.